This is Psychic Warfare. Welcome back, my friends, to Psychic Warfare, the podcast where spirituality and philosophy collide with heavy metal and rock and roll. I am your host, Chris Keelick, and thank you for joining me once again on another journey into the lives and minds of the most iconic musicians in heavy music. Just as a reminder, if you enjoyed the podcast and these conversations with the artists you love, it would mean the world if you subscribed and followed the podcast on your platform of choice. Also, you can follow me and the show at Pod on Twitter and at Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So if you get a chance, follow the show there for updates and happenings on all things Psychic Warfare. This week, Phil Pendergast, lead vocalist and lyricist of the critically acclaimed doom metal outfit Chemis, joins me on Psychic Warfare. Chemis is a doom metal quartet out of Denver, Colorado, whose melodic and sludgy brand of doom metal has garnered praise from metal outlets across the board, including continually landing in Decibel Magazine's top albums of the year list. The band just released their latest record, Deceiver, I should say. They released their last record last November to more acclaim and finished up a massive U.S. tour are opening for Trivium, and with only an upward trajectory on the horizon for a band more metalhead should, and I'm convinced will know about in the months to come, it's a privilege to have Phil on the show. Phil, welcome to Psychic Warfare, and thank you for being here today. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the generous introduction. Happy to be here with you. I really appreciate it, man. And uh, you put on an amazing show in Philly. Phil and I met after the show there and uh, kind of connected that way, so it's a pleasure to have him on. And I wanted to ask you, just to start off, I always ask the guests, how are you feeling in this moment in time, mentally, physically, and spiritually? Honestly, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I think leading up to the tour, life was a bit of a struggle, but it just feels good to have it out of the way and to sort of, I don't know, to settle back into a normal routine. I think for a lot of people, it can be hard coming back from tour because they sort of miss feeling like they have this purpose and can be difficult to adjust. But for me, I, I kind of have the opposite problem almost. And so it's just been really nice to just like reconnect with my dogs and my wife and feel like <laughs> I'm at home and can finally relax and just sort of get into some normalcy again. It's kind of helpful for me to have that routine. So yeah, it's it's been pretty good since we've been back. As a wife guy myself and a pet person, I don't have dogs, but I have cats. I totally relate to what you're saying when you get back from a long trip and you get to just mm -hmm. kind of Go back to sometimes status quo is good. Getting back to the status quo. I'm curious, you know, what was your spiritual upbringing like? Did you grow up in a household that held a certain faith or was spirituality something personal that you kind of developed and discovered over time on your own? Um, I grew up in like a sort of non-denominational Christian household with uh, both my parents being pretty religious. And I don't really up until... I was sort of like a freshman or so in high school and uh, I was like more or less just on board with that. And then I kind of had a little bit of a crisis where I felt like I was just being exposed to all these ways that organized religion was so hypocritical. And I, I was just like really upset by that and like what it meant for me as a person to have these people that I grew up with and that know me really deeply and personally, uh, you know, like friends that I had through youth group or something like this or church, uh, to be judging me really harshly for like the stuff that I was doing at the time and, um, to sort of reject me on those grounds just because I'm like drinking and like right. hanging out with different people or whatever, you know, it's just like, it felt so stupid to me. So I pretty quickly sort of drifted away from that and 
end up a lot of the time just seeing organized religion as being a really limiting factor in people's lives, just like being told what to do uh, with no creativity and no recognition of that, like the lessons that they're being taught is just being passed down through someone's interpretation and that they're taking it as like the literal word of God. And I find myself pretty upset by that. Uh, it ends up just being a way to sort of, you know, continue these like hateful ideologies and that keep us uh, divided as a society and also that keep all these social inequalities in place. And it's a, in effect being quite racist and sexist. And, Seems like uh, it helps a very certain subset of people stay in a certain degree of power. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like if you really like research sort of how Catholicism came into being, for instance, it's just like so obvious that the vast majority of that was just to keep wealth centralized amongst a privileged group of people and to Spoiler keep alert, from it's not very any Christ power. It's not very Christ-like. Uh, yeah. I mean, the amount of ignorance about like what the lessons are supposed to be uh, in terms of how they get interpreted by people is I don't think any fault of the vast majority of people that are trying to practice these faiths, but it's just like so apparent to somebody who has been there and like sort of struggled with this themselves. Um, so I've always found that really upsetting and really only more recently in my life have I like returned to having any sort of spiritual practice at all. And I would say that like I taking a trip to Thailand, I was there for a couple of months in probably like 2010 or 2011, early 2011 sort of made me realize that I think I align best with like a Buddhist sort of spiritual orientation and that I, um, I don't like really identify as a Buddhist, but I, I practice meditation and mindfulness techniques. And I try to sort of have the same kind of reflective, um, engagement with my present experience that like a Buddhist would have, but probably to much less degree than somebody right. who's doing it. I was going to, I was going like, to ask, time. you know, what tenets I, I first was going to ask, was there a moment even after your disillusionment kind of with organized Christian religion that you were like, aha, like, okay, this is something I didn't know this existed, but now that I found it, like, I'm kind of going to, I resonate with this much more strongly. And then the flip side of that is what tenets now, now that you're kind of identifying and exploring more kind of Eastern religion and those kinds of practices, what resonates with your core being the most that you've learned and from these practices being like, this is something that I truly believe in and that I want to practice in my own life. I don't know about the first question, honestly. Um, Cause I think I've had experiences that I would characterize as being sort of spiritual in, in nature um, for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes like just related to like, the context of like some moment that I'm having and sort of having this like epiphany about where I'm at in that moment and my present state and like who I'm with and to like, you know, having sort of these really just big sort of coincidental moments happen in life where it makes you question whether this just like totally chaotic, chaotic existence or whether there's actually something a little bit more organized going on. But to your second question about what has made me gravitate toward this set of precepts. It's really just that in my experience, I've found them to be genuinely helpful for maintaining a better sort of relationship with my own sort of struggles with feeling like there's purpose to life and to um, just like connecting to my feelings as someone who experiences depression. So 
I think that it's really a, a lot of it has to do with like the embodiment practices in this type of, I'm not going to even call it a faith, but like spiritual practice where you're just like really tapping into what it is that you're actually feeling in some moment. And then trying to get answers from your body about like, what is that feeling that's there? And do I have space for that? And like, what is it telling me if it could speak? Um, and that a lot of that right. ends up being really helpful. So it's really just like a practical thing almost for me that like I've realized is it's just good for my mental health to be doing some of this stuff. That's great. Cause I mean, a lot of what my goal is with, with this whole podcast is to see how people see the musicians that inspire them and think like, Hey, like I'm struggling with some of the same things. I've never mm -hmm. approached this angle before, or this kind of direction. I didn't even, maybe you, they didn't even know a certain subset of a faith or a spirituality or any kind of life practice even existed. And they might really get some benefit from that. So I really appreciate you kind of opening up about that. And to me, you know, when I listen to your writing and just the, the impression I get of you as a person, just from our very brief meeting and just the time you've been talking, you know, your lyrics evoke both ideas of mythological and philosophical thought, but also on the flip side, amazing kind of fantastical imagery that makes me want to write a D&D &D campaign around them. Um, <laughs> so from both sides of this, I'm very curious, who would you say if you had to like, I know you've just talked about kind of Buddhism and Eastern religion, but if you had to kind of narrow it down to if there's any individuals, who would you say most influenced your thought and writing on both the philosophical side of your lyricism and your kind of explorations in that and on the creative fantasy side? And how have you seen those kind of worlds intertwine within yourself as you've written? It's a tough question. I think that I don't like, the truth is that I don't really try to write anything that's fantastical. I think I try to search for like metaphors and imagery that would be relatable to somebody and that are vivid enough that they create like a sense of place and understanding for people that are listening to the music where they can draw on their own experiences to sort of relate to what I'm talking about potentially, but that I'm not trying to evoke like a specific set of images or like a specific tone necessarily. It's always just been, it's it felt like really autobiographical to me, honestly, to the point where I'm not like directly trying to be inspired by anything other than being honest to my own experience. Right. Um, so like, I mean, I could say like for this most recent record deceiver, I was sort of inspired by the concept of like Dante's descent into the inferno and like this idea of sort of working through these different levels of hell uh, as like a conceptual grounding for a record that's composed of multiple songs that teach about different aspects of sort of like my mental well-being um, and that each of them sort of represents a different layer of this hell and that I'm sort of working through that. And then through realizing that there was maybe this connection thematically to that source material, I tried to sort of emulate a little bit more than I normally would kind of the, the prose style of that, wherein the writing is a little bit more straightforward and less um, sort of fantastical and less uh, metaphorical uh, and more straightforward in terms of like sentence structures and stuff too. So I was like trying to be more transparent um, because I was inspired by that in that. Uh, but it was just sort of like happenstance that I realized that what I was writing about had this sort of tie into um, that material. 
And I would, then I like tried to sort of play off of it as like an inspiration, but it's not like I usually am going into right. these records with any intent to do that. And especially with past records, like hunted in particular, I was trying to not think about how any of what we, what I was writing about was inspired by anything in music at all. And really just trying to be inspired by like these prolific night terrors that I had as a child and trying to process them through like the lens of like an adult human who now understands what probably a lot of these fears were. You read my mind. You're definitely in touch with something because I wanted to ask, because when we met after that Philly mm -hmm. show and we started to talking, you had mentioned that specifically to me when I was kind of talking to you about what the podcast was about and how yeah. it was inspired. And I wanted to go have you go a little deeper into that because listening to that record again, I want to hear about how all of that kind of manifested these night terrors kind of manifested in your lyrics and your kind of processing of that, especially in a song like three gates, which is it's my favorite lyric piece of lyricism on the entire record. That song. I love the way you wrote that. It's just so thought provoking. That, yeah. I'm dying to know. That song actually is coming from Ben. So um, on like, really for the most part, I usually will come up with like the lyrical concept of some song and then, like he'll write his lyrics after I've gotten down okay. like what I'm already doing. But the main sort of like, because his vocals are the primary ones on the verses on that song, right. we actually kind of flipped the script. And like, I told him, you know, like what the rest of the record was ending up being about and sort of asked him to write some stuff that was around like his own sort of struggles with, uh, really dark dreams that are sort of like having some kind of relationship to his own mental health. And uh, so I can't really speak for him too much about sort of the intention of that song, but it's definitely one that's like includes quite a bit of lyrical sort of inspiration from like even Shakespeare and stuff. Like there's definitely like some quotes peppered in there. Amazing. Um, and like that, it seems to me, that it's sort of a song about like the different options that you have as someone who deals with depression and also the ways that you can liberate yourself from that too. And so that was sort of like the, the back and forth yeah. that I had with the concept of that song uh, when I was writing my parts too. And the record as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I want to hear more about how you interpreted these night terrors and how it found its way on the, the rest of the record. Yeah. I mean, so the nice thing about having that song right in the middle of that record is that it's providing this different viewpoint and that like on the choruses, I'm reflecting back onto what he's saying, uh, which I think is interesting because it's like providing this one like outside narrative uh, for reflection on the record. Mm -hmm. But then before that and after that, um, before it, there's like, these two very specific dreams from my childhood. And then after it, uh, with, uh, beyond the door and, uh, hunted, it's more of like the way that I've had some recurring sort of dream material intersect with those earlier huh. ones. And so like, it sort of bridges those two in a cool way too, for me. Um, so the records like layout is pretty deliberate in that way as well, but like those first two, tracks on hunted above the water was inspired by this really vivid night terror that I had that was recurring when I was a kid where like I would feel like in my entire body that I was sort of like cast adrift in the ocean and like that there was no real 
it was really difficult to get your bearings on like what you were seeing and experiencing, right. except for that there was like this light and it was like constantly threatening to go like under the water. And I had this feeling that what I was seeing was something that represented like my family and that it was sort of constantly being threatened by, uh, you know, this sort of tumultuous, like stormy sea and that like what I was watching was the lives of everyone in my family just being balanced on this sort of knife's edge and mm. that like there in my existence, um, both just were being very threatened by whatever this was. And I couldn't really, you know, I didn't know, I didn't have any sort of real foresight when I was a kid to be able to explore what that thematically was. Um, but, you know, as an adult, I try to like leave it sort of open to interpretation for people because I think it's more compelling for them to read their own experiences into these things. But I think that it like in terms of how it plays out in my personal family, it definitely has to do with like mental health struggles and yeah. with addictions too. Um, like, you know, I like I, I have an uncle who I lost to suicide and my mom's dealt with these mental health issues her entire life, which are really quite severe. Um, and I've been impacted by both of those quite a bit in my own life. And then also my own set of these. And then pretty much on both sides, my family has like pretty long histories of substance abuse issues. And so kind of all of these, I think as an adult, realizing that that might have been sort of the metaphor that I was tapping into. Yeah. And um, then sort of, by the end of the album with hunted uh, confronting really directly just like what all this means. And that like, I have this shadow aspect to my existence that I have to contend with. And then that I have to ultimately accept it because as an adult, I was having these dreams constantly. They were like the only dreams that I would ever remember. And I would have them like all the time. They were super vivid where I'm just being chased by something that I can't see and uh, usually like abused in some way by this silent yeah. and sort of unknown figure, uh, both like sexually and physically abused by this thing. And like, just like being terrified of it and like waking up, just being like sweating and, you know, like having no idea uh, if I'm awake and if I'm safe. And then kind of realizing at some point that the only way to do anything about this was to like stare it in the face and like try to learn that it's yeah. part of who I am too. It's a very Eastern and way of thinking, like kind of the, the this is not a I separate guess. entity of me. This is a, this is a, this is just as much me as the parts that I like to accept and to yeah. display openly. And the only way to kind of not let it destroy yourself from the inside out is to kind of embrace that, manage it. And to kind of, like you said, be at peace, find a way to be at peace with that without, you know, without having it dictate your, your thoughts and emotions, you know, moment to moment. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that was a huge sort of moment for me was like coming to this realization that I just had to learn to accept it. Uh, and what that probably meant for what that figure sort of represents in my own life and in my lineage and stuff. And like just having to embrace it and like, look it in the face. And then the second that I sort of really decided to do that, I stopped having those dreams after I wrote, this song wow. about that experience like the next day that's amazing and so like literally like writing that song sort of like changed my life to some degree you, know, you, would, I had you this, definitely like, excised some things in that moment i guess it, exactly yeah i mean at the end of the 
song, like I'm just like repeating this sort of mantra of like, I see him, he comes forth from darkness. He takes form. I see him. He is, I, I am cursed and I'm damned. And like embracing that, um, it became like, I think a mantra that sort of, yeah, yep. it like expelled something and it healed. Chants and mantras, another Eastern religious practice. So you were ahead of the curve before you even knew what, what really resonated I, with you. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was yeah. really powerful to me to see that like with writing this album sort of about this concept and like excising it that like that sort of ended up being the album that like people ended up really caring about us because of, and that like I've, connected with so many people on a personal level about those songs. Um, it's just crazy. Like what it's done yep. and like the positive impact that it's had on my life and to other people's lives. It really and is an amazing record. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it, I think it's just one of those things where like, it can be really terrifying to put yourself out there in a really vulnerable way, but that it's, it's usually rewarded, right? Like I think that what we put out, that's vulnerable ends up sort of exposing the things in other people that they want to relate to other yeah. humans. On. People and feel like that's sort of how we find each other. Exactly. People feel such a distance to, and this is another reason behind the inspiration for this is I think sometimes people feel such a distance to the artists that inspire them. Like I'll never get there or we don't really have anything in common, but I love the music. And so I'm down with that. But you know, just by you being, again, being vulnerable and opening up, you know, everybody that I've talked to, I, I, I just hope that, this lets people be like, Hey, I'm just like them. Like I can do that. Mm -hmm. or I can practice this. I we're not so far removed. We're not so distant. This isn't someone that's necessarily on a pedestal. This is someone that whose art I genuinely appreciate, but also like they are just like me. Like, cause sometimes I think that falls on deaf ears a little bit when you're like, Hey, I'm just like you. I put my pants on one leg at a time. I do this. <laughs> I do that. I think sometimes there is still the kind of this distance between the stage and the audience where it's, yeah. you know, you are, you are literally on a pedestal being raised, raised up above the audience to some degree. But I think this, the goal of this is to definitely have you literally face to face, heart to heart with the people that admire you the most and they respect your art the most. So again, I just yeah. appreciate you doing all this. And I wanted to follow up on, on that question, going back in album, you know, right off the first song on your first album, Absolution, there's two amazing lines that I love uh, on Torn Asunder, which is tear my essence from a shell and the cosmos reads our tarot and two really cool concepts that you start exploring off the bat. You know, the first yeah. is essences, which is a concept I've always been fascinated by. This is, I promise this isn't to make me sound super pretentious because I am the least, <laughs> I, I, not at all. Uh, but, but I took this college philosophy class on existentialism and phenomenology. And we talked a lot about essences and, and things like that. And it's always been kind of mm -hmm. something that's fascinated me. And I'm, I'm curious to start with that concept. You know, what do you see as the essence of something or someone, you know, how would you categorize that? What does that mean to you? Whoa. <laughs> it's honestly not something I think about, but um <laughs> I would say that like essence is aligned with purpose a lot of the time, or at least that's sort of my impression of it. And that like, you know, so like if I taste like a tasty meal I, and I'm somebody who has a pretty good like ability to discern things in food and recreate food that I eat and stuff like the essence of some meal is always, you know, going to be fundamentally like one of the major flavor compounds you're gonna like one of my later questions if, if okay. that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> um and so like it can usually be sort of boiled down to some like central thing and then there's other stuff that's like emphasizing it or contrasting with it or whatever but i i think of the essence of something as being like its main sort of thematic purpose or 
whatever. And so like as a, for a person, it's a way more complicated uh, question. And it maybe is something that varies over time, but like, I would say that the essence of like who I am is someone who's pretty deeply empathetic. Um, do you think you created, or do you think it's something you're born with? Um, I mean, so I'm a sociologist, like I, I have a PhD in sociology. So Hell like, yeah. I, I can't, I can't like say that it's something that you're born with and that it's not influenced by the we context love science, in which though. you were we raised. Love and yeah. I mean, it's, it's both like everything is always both. Um, but I do think that like you have a certain predilection towards um, a certain set of characteristics when you're born okay. and that like if you ask your parents, for instance, to sort of, you know, show you a video of how you are in relation to other people as a kid or something, I think that you probably can recognize something in that person that's still true about you as a person, as an adult. And probably some of that is essential, I guess, to a person, but, but it's certainly reinforced positively or negatively by your parents, by your religion, by your friends and coworkers and teachers and everyone in your life. And so, you know, it's not the experiences of existence. Yeah. I mean, we're so shaped by what happens to us, you know, in ways that like sometimes we're not even aware of because sometimes we're not even like aware of like our deepest seated memories and like traumas and things. So it's, it's really hard to say. Um, but I think that sometimes it can be sort of aspirational too. I think hmm. the essence of someone might sometimes be something that they really strongly desire for the world or from themselves. Uh, even if they haven't successfully put that into practice yet, it's something that they're working towards. Like, hmm. I don't know. It's a really interesting question. I don't think I have an adequate. No, answer. no worries. Hey, it's just something I wanted to throw out there. Cause I saw that word. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to tar- I'm targeting that word. Cause I like the song already. And I was like, that's a concept I've always been fascinated by. So I, I was just curious what the, you thought about that. In that context, I think it just has more to do with like trying to kill the ego and sort of something like, I'm all about. Yeah. And try to sort Very of investigate dangerous. like who we are, like in a, a vacuum without those influences. Right. So in that sense, I'm, I guess I am saying that it's something that's maybe there before your conditioning and stuff. Um, yeah, but maybe I think you are that, right. Like, I, think, I think it is both. Cause if it is come kind of the ego, then, you know, mm-hmm. maybe some of it exists, you know, ahead of time, but obviously the ego is something that is very much fed by, you know, the experiences that we, we take in around us and how we internalize that. And, you know, the lessons of our parents, like you said, religion, the things we choose to, the activities we do, the people we choose to hang out with. It's all a spider's web, you know? Yeah. But I've always been fascinated by this like dichotomy of free choice and fate. Are you, are you reading my mind? Literature and stuff. I'm just going to, I'm I'm not going to cut you off, but I'm going to ask the next question because you're already like on the, you're already there. Like you're already there, man. Yeah. And the second, yeah, the second line is that song about the cosmos reading your tarot. You're toying with questions of fate and free will. And the notion of being under the hand of fate appears multiple times in chemist lyrics and songs. And I, I always ask this question at the end of the podcast and kind of a little section that you'll see later, but I want to talk to you about it now because I get the impression that, and you just kind of confirmed this to me that you think about this question a lot. So I wanted you to, I wanted to mm-hmm. hear you explore more in depth about whether you believe in fate or free will and if there's both or like how you feel about those concepts. I think it's like one of those fundamental human questions that like everyone is probably fascinated by to some degree, but that like I've always felt is 
one of the most interesting things in literature is like that the like the writer knows where the story is going and they're leading you down mm. this path um but like the the journey there is like unexpected right and i think that like that ends up being feeling like a suitable metaphor for our lives that like it does sometimes feel like things that happen to us are preordained but that like the way that things turn out ends up being so mysterious sometimes like you know i never would have guessed that like these really like uniformly negative experiences that i was having my entire life with like these dreams that we were talking about would end up leading to me doing like maybe the most notable thing that I do in my life in terms of like relating to other people. So like it's, it's impossible for me to see the two as like mutually exclusive. Like mm. I think that like we have a lot of agency in what we can do, but that we can never control <laughs> some like a little bit of fate inevitable. and free will and a little bit of free will and fate yeah exactly it's but it's a really interesting concept and it's like one of my favorite things to th sort of think about is like especially this came up with the newest record too just this idea of like whether we or i guess myself more specifically are just like fundamentally broken or whether like it's actually those things that we see as fucked up about ourselves that end up being the things that like open us up to experiencing life more richly in relation yeah. to other people. It's yeah. like the problem of it's like the problem of evil, which I've I've talked about before, where people are like, well, if God did exist, then why does he allow children to die of cancer and all these kind of horrific mm -hmm. experiences that don't need to happen? And I, I, again, I don't believe I'm not I'm not a a Christian in any sense, or a, a, a really believe in any kind of theistic anything in that sense. I'm still kind of on my own path, figuring things out, but it is interesting because it's it's so hard to kind of not explain away, but kind of rationalize that and, and reckon with that. But yeah, it, it depends if you believe that there's a proportionate amount of things that we view as horrific to the proportionate amount of things that we view as absolutely sublime and, and beautiful in life. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what I you're mean, getting at a little bit is like, is it are the parts of us that are that we we view we see as abhorrent or that we want to get rid of? Does that actually kind of contribute to the, the most sublime moments in our life? It sometimes can. And I don't want to say that that's always true for everyone, because there's like an awful lot of privilege going on in my own experience yeah, right. in terms of how that's played out. Um, and I'm not sure that it's always ends up being good that some people live these terrible lives where they're just like under the fucking heel of like every societal structure being against them wherever they're living, you know, or like a woman living on Iran or something like yeah. that's a pretty fucked up existence. But like at the same time, it's really, really hard to think of a lot of universally beneficial things that have come out of humans that were just coming out of like pure ecstasy that somebody was experiencing without there having been like the experience of something terrible that sort of like, <laughs> The contrast right. is like what made the thing, you know? So I think that there's something to, I mean, I think that contrast is really like the most important thing yeah. that we're talking about is like, if we all just live comfortable existences, nobody is ever going to create anything of real value yeah. that's lasting and like gets to the heart of the human condition. Like we sort of have to reflect on these experiences where like we're really struggling to make it to the next day to really fully like realize the potential of some beautiful moment that we're presented with in our lives. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, we're, we must be going back to my college 
days because I took an INTD class about literally the definition of the word sublimity and sublime. And I read all these these books. Hmm. I don't remember now, but the thing that stuck with me ultimately was that what you're getting at here is is the definition of the word sublime. And maybe that is just our existence. Sublime, Literally, the definition of sublime is when you are equally terrified and in awe of something at the same time. It kind of can't mm. exist. Something that is truly sublime cannot exist without a sense of terror, an equal sense of terror and a sense of joy or ecstasy in a, in, a, in the same moment. So maybe that that's speaks to life in general. Yeah, maybe that's kind of what I you're think- getting at. It's also compelling that that's like pretty much literally the description of God in like the Bible. Be not afraid. Right. <laughs> right. Be, yeah. To be like totally in awe, but also utterly terrified of this, uh, of the way that it would present itself to someone. Yeah. Um, and the, like, not even like the angels can like witness yeah. the full glory of this you, thing. You like, see those memes this... online of like the, the, the biblically accurate angels, like how they would have actually appeared. And then like, it's like, how am I not <laughs> supposed to be fucking terrified? This thing is fucking terrifying. It's got like 15 yeah, eyes yeah. and non-Euclidean <laughs> geometry. <laughs> yes, totally. I mean, those are all definitely just like higher dimensional beings. Like, I don't know. There's some part of me. Okay. So well, I guess one spiritual thing that I will say also that I've neglected is that like, I was very, very, I, I was originally going to go into like physics, uh, like theoretical physics uh, cool. when I was an undergrad before I ended up going into sociology. Cause I just decided that I didn't want to do all the math that was involved in uh, this other career choice. I feel that. Um, I feel that very deeply, <laughs> but I've always felt like a very strong spiritual connection to some of the things that have been found to be scientifically true yeah. in like quantum physics. We talked about um, this. I talked about this in an earlier episode. I'm not sure if you're going to bring it up, but like the double slit experiment, like how particles change by our obs- observation of them, like photons. Yeah. 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 All of this is absolutely insane and like difficult for the mind to sort of like understand, but it also aligns with a lot of the things that, you know, are mentioned in religious texts and that I would describe as being sort of like spiritual experiences. If you were to witness something of like higher dimensional form Mm. in our three-dimensional plane, it would quite literally be something that would appear to us as like an angel or a God or a demon or something, you know, we would have no way of understanding it otherwise. So I've always been interested by this. Like, it seems like there's like scientifically proven sort of foundation for some things that are common across religious texts, but that like I'm curious. kind of understand them, but kind of don't. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious about this thread now that you've kind of pulled on it. You know, if are there specific instances you're thinking of or specific like experiments or discoveries that have been made in physics that kind of really connect you to the spiritual aspect of it? Or are there specific things that you're like, hey, this kind of is something that connects in religious texts that we've we've kind of figured out in science or worked on? I'm just curious because I'm I'm more I'm more ignorant, definitely more ignorant on this than you are. And I, I would love to hear. I don't know if you're more ignorant on it than I am. Like it's it's not something that <laughs> I, I think probably about. Am. Like, it's not something that I think about like hard enough to like have like an entire like journal of like oh, oh right. shit, like this connects right. here. Just if you have anything like, offhand. Yeah, I mean, it's more just that, like, I I think one thing that I can remember really formatively was, like, reading um, Stephen Hawking's, like, Theory of Everything or 
whatever that right. book is, where he's describing the appearance of like higher dimensional objects. If you were to condense them down to some lower dimensional of appearance, and then like the opposite from reading other stuff, uh, where like if you were to take something that's that's like fundamentally um, appears to us like a photon to be like one dimensional, that's just like a single point. Right. And like, we can't dissect it any further than that, that if you took the amount of energy and complexity inherent in that one object, and then you flattened it out to two dimensions, that it would be like a line that's like so incredibly long that it's like unfathomable. And that if you continue to like, put it out into like two dimensions that it's something that could like easily wrap around the entire surface of the earth. And then that like, you know, it gets smaller as you add dimensions to this thing, but that like the complexity of something so small contains potentially the vastness of like the entire universe. Yeah, It's just like, so endlessly like fascinating. It, it makes me feel in awe of these concepts the same way that, I think people often feel in awe of like a religious experience that they have. Exactly. Right? That, that's why it's so, I, I, I believe that you, you <laughs> kind of, you cannot kind of separate science from faith to a certain degree because they both can inspire these kind of same degrees of, of awe and, mm. and co- uncover these things that we just don't have the answers to, or at least don't have the answers yeah. to yet. And they are, they're just kind of this mysteriously tied linked like a chain people always kind of want to try it well, is it this or this but like you know it's everything it's all of it it's all of it together i think i think everything is both yeah exactly <laughs> i mean everything like i i don't think i think this is something that like is definitely present in buddhist thinking uh but something that i think is also probably true like scientifically is that literally like every single thing in the universe is connected both through sort of like this Mm -hmm. giant web of like time that goes back to like a single moment where everything was one thing but also like in the present moment where like the vibrations that happen at one end of the universe in some way end up affecting things that are happening on the other end of the universe which is an unfathomably large distance and then to think that we live in these like isolated little like human meat suits that are not having any <laughs> impact on each other. It seems so yeah. crazy to me, but like that also like sort of implies that a lot of the things that are not necessarily practiced in organized religion, but that are implied by organized religion are also true that like you should be treating your neighbor as you would treat yourself because your actions, you are your neighbor. <laughs> have, yeah, exactly. So it's, you know, it's just like, um, I think more than anything, I'm just someone who believes that the world is a terrible and fucked up place. But at the same time, I'm also somebody who like really believes in the potential of humanity to recognize this shared experience. That's amazing. So like do something about it. You just, I don't often have a mind blown moment, but like, I never thought about like the, the saying of like, treat your neighbor as yourself because you literally are your neighbor. If you think about it from this like quantum physics kind of yeah. angle, that's cool as hell. Like that's really, cause I always, I've asked before, like, what is the, what is the human moralistic 
like imperative to treat each other well. Like what is, I've asked that question. I don't remember who I asked it to a previous guest. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I need to, there's this, there's a book by Sam Harris that I want to read about where he kind of talks about the scientific basis for human morality. And that's something I'm also mm-hmm. very fascinated by, but I never thought about it from that angle, kind of taking something very spiritual and religious, like that quote, but that, I mean, not inherently, but like it comes from a, a religious source or most people cite it that way and mm-hmm. thinking about it in that kind of scientific way. That's cool as hell. That's really, really neat. But I think that's, I think even if you condense it down just to like feelings, like how we feel, it's beautiful to think, to have equal awe in, if in a faith, if that is what it gives you and, and you treat people right and you don't use it to, as a, as a weapon, you know, to, to hurt others or to, you know, to, to put other people down. That's mm-hmm. really beautiful. And it's also equally as beautiful for scientists to make these amazing discoveries and to also feel that sense of awe, like looking up at the stars or you know, yeah. thinking, mathematicians thinking about infinity or, or fractals or, you know, all these amazing things that science and math can, can explain and work on. And it's yeah. just really kind of amazing how these two intertwine. You can get the same kind of ama- awe, feelings of awe and terror about how small we really are and how little we kind of understand, but also the excitement of of trying to, of trying to find something that just resonates mm-hmm. with you. And I think, that's, I mean, I think yeah. fundamentally that's the link between the two, right? Like I think religion was the first attempts that we had as a human species to try to understand these things that are inherently unknowable yeah, uh, and that science is just like a more sophisticated way maybe of like trying to yeah. understand where these things come from but i don't think it really ends up getting that much closer yeah. to the truth and i think that's um, i think that's the thing i think when you it, it's so positive and healthy to have these kind of conversations but not necessarily through the lens of like oh well what do you believe about this political issue i mean political issues are obviously very yeah. important to talk about and to to because we live in a we live in a society you know we, we live in a world where you have to we have to deal with those things because that's just how our our life is and that's how existence is on this planet but yeah. I think it's easier. It's it's important to have these kind of esoteric, kind of metaphysical conversations too, because it can help us be better people. And I think it helps to talk to people through the lens of like, hey, how do you feel about this concept? Not necessarily this very targeted thing, but how about this general yeah. concept of like the feeling of awe you get when you look at the stars, or you know, or good and evil, or you know, these big bigger yeah. concepts. I think that's important think to I'm, kind of yeah. I'm always somebody who's more interested in why somebody cares about an issue than what their stance is on an issue. Mm. I think that that ends up being something that we can oftentimes relate to each other on, you know, but even though like we might have incredibly different viewpoints about some political issue, but the reason why people care about the issue, I think oftentimes ends up being really similar. Maybe it's that they care about how their family fares because of this thing. Versus like, I care how my community fares because of this thing. And that those two might end up putting like different interpretations of policy at odds with each other. Maybe it ties into their essence. (laughs) It could be. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. Also a lot of things are psychologically based. Like, you know, I think a lot of people that are really resource, like, um, that are like really driven by like this fear of resource deprivation, like probably grew up being taught that like, it was really important to fend for yourself and provide for your family. And that like, there's no one else that's going to take care of you. And that that's been like, why you maybe tend to favor policies that are supportive of that. So like, I I think we can't divorce people from 
again, that social context that they grew up into. But I think it is probably, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep coming back to saying that I think it's always both. Everything is yeah. everything. I mean, you're else, not wrong. Basically. I mean, I, I agree with you because I, I share a lot of the same kind of beliefs and tenets. I, I get the feeling that we do because I'm delving heavier into Eastern religion. Like I'm a big Alan Watts fan and I've been trying to read a lot of like Eastern, uh, like, like Zen Buddhist books about Zen Buddhism and things. And, you know, I think, I think the biggest thing, regardless of all of this, and it's hard because this, I'm not going to go down this path again because I've gone down this path many times talking about like mm. uh, absolute moral good and evil. And I've, I've, I've tread that path a lot. Maybe I'll bring it up in a, in a future episode. But I think it's so important just to be open to things, be open to the experiences of life, like be open to mm. things. But, mm -hmm. but then it's yeah. hard because like I don't want to be open to like things that like are, that someone believes that harm other people, which gets into those kind of moral questions. But I think in a sense, what I'm talking about is it's it's important to like be open to the beautiful experiences of science and the beautiful experiences people have through faith and to not shut yourself off from that. And I get to the I get the sense that you you're a you have a Ph.D., you, you're a scientific guy, that you are open to both and you've let yourself get to that point in your life. And did that take a lot to get to that point? Did that take a lot of kind of self-examination? to get there because honest, honestly, I, I, that's kind of what I'm hoping is that people who listen to this through the lens of the musicians they love are like, Hey, like it is important to be open to all of this and to be open to what other people, the experience, the joy and experiences other people have through science and various faiths. And let me find my own path to that. Yeah. I don't think I'm there. I mean, <laughs> I try to be, uh, okay with wherever I'm at in all of this, but, um, I think that for me, it comes back to the things that are helpful for me. Like, I think that one thing that is really helpful for me and that I'm pretty bad at, but that I often end up sort of having the biggest moments of awe and like sort of those like moments that really stick with me and that really make me feel like I'm living from like and celebrating my essence, if you will, come when I'm very present in my experience and I'm non-judgmental towards it. And I think that ultimately like what you're talking about is acceptance of the present moment. And that I would actually be willing to say that it might be possible that if everyone was being equally present in some moment that you wouldn't be faced with something that's terrible. Like I don't think anybody can, for instance, something like policy is inherently either forward or backward thinking. It's not really concerned with the present moment and experience at all. Hmm. Um, like, I think that one of the best things that we could do in this world is to spend more of our lives just experiencing things with an open-mindedness and sort of like a childlike glee. And that like, the only reason that that doesn't work is because there's so many other people who are so preoccupied by, controlling the future yeah. or like they are firmly not on the present moment the past. Yeah. yeah exactly and that like really i see like the vast majority of the shit that makes me really upset as a human these days being driven by some desire to like recapture the past or control the future or in some way live outside of like our present moment it sounds like a really like sort of woo woo kind of bullshit way not of really I think, but like, I really do think that at least in my personal experience, like I am so much more joyful 
and so much less encumbered by the parts of life that are really difficult if I'm being present. And that even those things that are really painful and that cause me a lot of suffering are much more manageable in the present moment because I realize that I actually have room for them and that I don't need to like fight them. Do we all have this that's potential? That's where a lot of that comes from. Do I think, think so. Do you yeah. truly believe that? Do, that everybody on this planet has that potential to to be grounded in the present moment and to kind of not let their life be ruled by like the fear of the future or fear of the past or all of that? I think so, but it's like, that's also kind of problematic because like, it's again, it's like a pretty privileged place to be able to like say that. Like, yeah, we're not just trying to survive here. Of, yeah. yeah, exactly. Some people don't have the privilege of like doing anything but surviving. Um, but you know, I'm sort of like imagining this hypothetical place where like a lot of those issues I would guess don't exist because other people haven't been driven yeah. to create them through this like scarcity thinking or like this concern for the future or, you know, and this, this might be naive of me to it's say, hypothetical. yeah, this might be naive of me to say, but and, cause I don't have obviously the, 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 the worldly experience with this. And so if, if I'm wrong on this, I'd be more than happy to be corrected, obviously, but I've seen instances where people in other countries or even here who have the least can sometimes be like the most grateful, happy, and kind of grounded in the moment people mm. that there are like, and they are just trying to survive, but they are yeah. kind of, they embody kind of all those qualities that we just talked about and like yeah. are genuinely some of the most like empathetic, compassionate people towards everyone and towards themselves. And I think it's, and, but then on the other, but then you do see, you know, people who are, who do struggle to survive, who let fear kind of, you know, invade them. And that can be caused maybe by, you know, the way they were raised a million things. Again, I don't have the worldly experience with this. I don't want to put my words in other people's mouths or, you know, ideas that, you know, may or may not exist. It's just my own impressions of what I've seen and observed the limited experience I have in living. But I think it is interesting that sometimes you can have both again, we're going back to both, but there are both cases where people who have the least and are kind of in this survival mode can either be like kind of the most compassionate, empathetic, grounded, present minded people. And also people who, you know, are stoked by a lot of fear. It's very interesting. I mean, it is really interesting because like what you're suggesting seems to be borne out by some degree of evidence. So like one of the things that I research as a sociologist is subjective well-being or life satisfaction. I was going to say, what the fuck am I talking about? You should, like, you're the PhD in sociology. You definitely know more about this than I do. (laughs) Well, I mean, all that I'll say about it is that like, one of the things that's really interesting is that it isn't like the wealthiest countries that have the highest rates of life satisfaction and happiness. Like, it tends to be places like Thailand or like really socialistic countries. I'm thinking um, of like Scandinavian where, countries, I think are usually yeah. on the top of the list. Yeah. But it's, it's also a lot of places that are like, you know, considered like third world countries that like end up being really high on this list or like higher than the U S at least. And that, um, and that doesn't mean know, that we shouldn't the, provide them resources guys. That's not what we're no, saying. Like there are definitely no. very real world problems in, in other countries that we should absolutely contribute to absolutely contribute to solving and helping everybody out, helping those people out. But anyway, continue. <laughs> but I think that there's definitely something to what you're saying, just in terms of like that evidence and that, like, I'll just say that like in my personal experience in some of these places, it's like incredible how people like in Cambodia, for instance, who like are missing like multiple limbs from 
like landmines that remain after like the genocide against them. And like that, like they might be some of the most vibrant people that you'll ever meet in your entire life and most generous people. And I think it's again, like coming from this contrast, maybe to some degree. And also just like that the preoccupation isn't with maybe trying to like meet these like imagined goals for yourself quite as much. Maybe it's just with, existing and like that that can actually be sort of liberating potentially like the one thing that i can say in my own experience is that like like we were just talking about that like i'm doing pretty well getting back from tour a big reason for that is that like tour this time around at least was actually quite good for me mentally in that i sort of am forced to revert to this really primitive type of existence where like i'm only like we're in a van driving ourselves and stuff like yeah, we're not like really doing not on the bus yet. Than, one day, not on the bus yet. Like sleeping for like five hours a day, driving for five hours a day, um, setting up gear and running errands to make sure that we're fed and like can play a show for maybe five hours a day, and then you know play the show that occupies like a half hour of our time, and then sort of just like live in the present moment for like two or three hours until we're done for the night and then head to the next place. And that that type of existence where like really you're just meeting your basic needs every day. And that like, it's impossible to really think too much about anything else and you just don't have the energy for it. You're the most clear headed being, yeah, it ends up being like a really, it's like, it's like taking a, a bath or something, you know, it's like, it can end up sort of cleansing you of a lot of, stuff and that's not like happening in a vacuum sometimes like the energy around you know the band or like what we're experiencing can end up being really negative and then like it's really difficult to live in that environment but um if things are going well it can be like a really a really cleansing experience and so for me like that's part of why i'm doing really well right now is just that like after having a really difficult few months leading up to tour I sort of was cleansed a little bit by this experience of this primitive, like present moment living. And then now I'm still carrying that forward a little bit. um, That's really great. Into my day-to-day life. You know, I'm just saying all this to say that, like, I think that you're onto something. No. And, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about when you said about the the Cambodian uh, victims who, you know, may have been lost limbs through landmines. And I, they literally went underwent like the most drastic, like physical and kind of psychic you know, emotional change that you, that you can undergo. And I think of people who, you know, I'm sure you've seen this too. You, you see interviews with people who've lost limbs in accidents, even people here in our own country. And they say, would you, would you go back and change it? Like, would you, would you go back and like, keep your limb? They're like, no, I wouldn't. Like, it's the best thing that's mm. ever happened to me. Like, it, wow. like it, it transforms their life. Like where it, they're like, I would never, I would not trade this experience, even though they literally have lost a physical part of themselves. They've grown, like they've undergone this incre- incredible kind of spiritual and emotional transformation. And you were talking about, you truly believe that we all have this potential. We don't have to lose limbs to get there, but we all have this potential to kind of transform. And this kind of brings me to my last like main question that I wanted to ask, which is about the song Living Pyre on the new record. Mm-hmm. It's a song that's really interesting to me because you're touching on this idea of how I interpret it is that we are these transcendent beings that have to kind of learn how to transcend and discover that potential, discover our true nature. And in fact, you know, it brings to mind, you'll appreciate this as someone who believes and uh, practices a lot of Eastern practices, Buddhist practices. There's a Zen koan, a Zen Buddhist koan that goes like this. It says, 
who is the being that carries this corpse around? <laughs> and uh, uh, by the way, for everybody listening, a koan, a, a Zen koan is a, it's like a riddle that gets you to think deeply about a, a certain concept of, of existence. But yeah, I always loved that. You know, who is, who is the being that carries this corpse around? Meaning that there is something inside of us that is not just flesh. It's very Yoda-y. That's not just like flesh and blood. Luminous beings we are. Like, <laughs> yeah, very, very Yoda, very Yoda. But hey, I mean, like George Lucas was inspired by Joseph Campbell, you know, the ultimate mythologist. And that's touching on a lot of, there's a lot of crossover mm -hmm. mythology, spirituality. Do you believe that? You know, do, how do you frame it in your mind? How do you work to discover that? in yourself day to day. I know you've talked about some practices and meditation, but do you believe that we all have that potential to, to have this, that to discover that we are kind of these transcendent beings? I mean, my personal belief is that I think that we are, um, that's not really based on anything other than that. Like then your gut, I feel that like I've lived other lifetimes before and experienced things that I sometimes get sort of flashes of that. I can't explain huh, really? it. That seemed to, yeah. Um, so like, I believe that that's true. Um, just because of my own experience, but man, like it, this is exactly the point of like, why I don't like to over explain what songs are about because <laughs> you don't have like, to, man, you don't have can to get something. I so promise you I'm not pressuring it. you. <laughs> no, no. I think that all that I want to say about it is just that like, that was my interpretation. So like, I mean, that, that could be totally different. That was just how I interpreted it. Yeah. I mean, I think that that song is really just like, it was the first thing, like the first lines in that song, like there's nothing left to give, nothing to drag through coals that I can use to keep the flame alive inside is just like, those were the first words that I wrote for the new album hmm. and that they were just a reflection of like being at the lowest point in my depression that I'd ever been. And like really just staring into the void of like, non-existence and feeling like to some degree writing music this is going to sound terrible because like i think for in a lot of ways this is such a gift that i get to be able to do this and like so many people get so much out of it but that like again in relating to the people that i'm hoping to reach through this like i have just as much of you know a problem getting up in the morning sometimes as anybody else and like that like anything that's good can feel like a burden sometimes. And that I was feeling very burdened by the responsibility of having to write something when I didn't feel like I had anything left to give to the world. Um, and like, so the way to sort of try and open and articulate that feeling and ultimately sort of, you know, like open the gates to this personal hell that like the record ends up being about was just to like admit that really honestly um, that like, sometimes it feels like I'm dragging myself through coals to like write these really personal messages into our songs. And that like, I honestly don't know in this moment that I have anything new to say, or like that my experience is important enough to reflect on anymore uh, in that present moment, you know, like, uh, you know, so like, what is my place as like, but you know that it is now because we are each other. We are our neighbor. Yeah. I mean, it's good to think about it that way, but like, you know, in the moment, that's certainly, not I'm sure, I'm sure it's very that, different. You know? yes. yeah. So like, really that song is just about like trying to reckon with that sort of like suicidality and like depression. Uh, but you did it, man. Cause and... you inspired me. You inspired me to, to see the, that you were talking about, or at least in my heart to feel that you were talking about, Hey, we all have this potential to transcend. We just have to learn how to kind of 
understand and recognize who we truly are, our true being. Mm. Yeah. So you I mean, did it's it. really the only hope that we have, right? Like I, the song, guess, I guess, sort of reflects on that too, that like really the only way that we can transcend that feeling of worthlessness is to like find that we're in some You may way. not know it yet, but you are a living buyer. Yeah, I guess so. Phil, yeah. that being said, that brings us to our final segments of the show, which I like to call Tomes of Wisdom in the Chaser. So first up is Tomes of Wisdom, which sounds like a chemist song also, by the way. Um, <laughs> it does. Which, <laughs> where each guest recommends us three pieces of media that have inspired them philosophically or spiritually in the last year. And this can be books, films, games, comics, anything that's made you think about your own life or life in the world in a different way. So Phil, what are three pieces of media that you've consumed that you would recommend for us to digest? I also say, I always ask it in the last year, but if you can't remember the last year, but there's just something in general that goes back further than that, you can <laughs> feel free to use that. No, I'll try. I mean, I didn't experience this for the first time in the last year, but um, still counts. I've always been really inspired by David Lynch, the film director. The uh, man, like, aka uh, the man. <laughs> a total, a total, and I think obvious, at least to myself, influence on like how I approach writing songs and his sense of like being able to evoke something that is not literal uh, is something that I try to do and emulate in what we do with chemists. And so, uh, you know, I've rewatched like a number of these movies in the last year or two. And that like, I think Mulholland drive is like his best mm. movie and is like just full of like inscrutable messages and symbolism and it's like i've seen it like a number of times and i like never am really able to make heads or tails of it and i think that that's its biggest asset yeah. is that it like it feels like it taps into something really primal in me um and it understands some aspect of my psyche that i have a hard time understanding but that like there's no clear <laughs> takeaway and I it think is very kaleidoscopic kind of nature of life it is very kaleidoscopic <laughs> where you kind of see what you want to see almost but not in a bad way like in a very good way yeah i agree um so i think that that would probably be one um i mean i just read uh this book neuromancer by william gibson that's like hmm. it's like the first like cyberpunk book essentially and it's from like the early 80s and it sort of like anticipates the World Wide web and like it like come it like invented a bunch of the terms that like we still use today to like understand like the internet world and like the metaverse um the metaverse and the metaverse yeah um and that's like kind of blew my mind a little bit I'm like I'm like somebody who's like totally phobic of like the technological future and like I don't use social media at all and I try to use the internet the least amount. Well, then thank I God I can. met you in the show. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you never would have gotten a hold of me otherwise. Um, but like I, I found that book really interesting because it sort of like both illuminates and I guess it, it really just like confirms a lot of my fears about some of this stuff, but in a really con compelling sort of way that, you know, very ends cool. up being like a really good story too. Um, awesome. But it's also very just cool. very creative. That's a good book. Um <laughs> uh kind of like every yob record does this for me clearing the path to ascend that record is not their most recent one but the one before that that record just like absolutely exploded my brain finally this is the segment that i like to call the chaser so in the chaser we ask the same 10 rapid fire questions for each guest and we ask that they keep their answer to 30 seconds or less are you ready phil 
Sure. And we've touched on some of these, so some of these might be ground okay. that you've already tread. But do you believe in fate or free will, and why? Both. What is so a stronger? Why has already been explained. What is a stronger force in the world, love or hate, and why? Love. Hate is so temporary. I think love is something that you can cultivate for your entire life. And that is always like reflected back to you in some kind of way. It, like it, it's something that naturally is expansive in terms of how it spreads. And I think hate is something that's naturally contractive and that like ultimately always gets sort of like squashed out or made to be like a small sort of squiggly portion of our existence. Um, it's not powerful enough. Who are the three most important spiritual and moral guides in your life and why? I'm just going to say myself and my own experience. I know that's an arrogant answer no, to this question. It's a good answer. You're all you got ultimately. What was the most spiritual place for you where you grew up and why? And this doesn't have to be like literally spiritual. It can be a place where you just felt a really great sense of awe. I've always felt that way. So I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in the town where they filmed Twin Peaks, uh, where David Lynch's TV show was. Hell yeah. So. David um, Lynch Connections. Uh, and there's a pretty easy hike, um, from a beautiful lake called rattlesnake Lake that ends on this overlook of, you know, basically like everywhere you can see pretty much everywhere that I grew up. And like, I always sort of had this like really reflective, deep experience of like sitting up there and like looking over my entire life, essentially from this one point rattlesnake. above a lake that has a town submerged at the bottom of it. It's oh, like man. a really crazy place. Yeah. That's cool as hell. By the way, Rattlesnake Lake, uh, really great title for a chemist song also, just saying. <laughs> also, the concept of a city under a lake, really cool. Um, oh, that's true. Th so this is the question <laughs> that's going to circle around. I told you you'd enjoy it later. What is the most delicious meal you've had in the last month and where was it? We ate at this, uh, this crazy Moroccan restaurant. Did Trivium take you there? Because I know they're big foodies. I'm sure it was where the Trivium took you. <laughs> It wasn't. Um, oh, it was actually. It was just somewhere that we went. We did have like, like a, a very delicious Italian dinner with them because they're very gracious people and like took us out to eat and stuff. But the the best meal that we had was like walking down the street from where we played in Dallas, and we went to this like kind of upscale Moroccan place around closing time and just had like the most amazing sort of like almost fine dining experience. We kind of treated ourselves because it was like the end of tour uh, and it was fantastic. Okay. I haven't had that kind of food in forever. So yeah, it was delicious. Very cool. Uh, when was the last time you felt lost? Man, like all the time. <laughs> 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 I think like I, I question what I do in life for work or like what my value is as a person, what, whether I'm a good partner, whether I'm, um, you know, I question like all these things like all the time and I often That's so important. Uh, but just you lost. saying that is so important for people to hear because like I guarantee you everybody thinks that and to hear it from you that you think the same things go a long way. Like hearing you just say that because I have to think about those things all the time. Very important. I'm glad that you that you're again as open and honest about that as you are because preach it. <laughs> We're all, I'm lost all the time. I feel like a total fraud, like 90% of the time. <laughs> so everyone can relate to that. I'm sure. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think that's a pretty common thing in the human experience, or at least that's one that I have all the time. Do you think the universe bends towards order or towards chaos and why? Man, I don't know if we have like a deep enough understanding of the universe to know the difference between the two. Mm. Like, Good. I think that things that are like appear chaotic to us, 
like I was mentioning about like sort of how things circle back around on us in life. And we like end up learning some huge lesson from like this totally like fucked up, mysterious, chaotic seeming period of our lives kind of proves to me that like, we don't really understand how these two play out together. And that I think that the, you know, from a technical perspective, like the math is too complicated and we don't really know. And that, um, everything is inherently chaotic, but that that allows for these like wonderful moments of just harmony that can exist. And I don't know whether like it tends to highlight one more than the other in any kind of organized fashion or whether that is truly chaotic or no, I know exactly what you're saying. It's, it's it's very hard to say. It's the sense of things happen in your life. And then when you get to a certain age, you look back, you reflect on it and all these little points that yeah. seem to be random and chaotic. You look back and you're like, oh my God, it forms a line. It's a totally. line to how yeah. I got here. Like everything yeah. happened exactly how it should happen for me to get to exactly this point. It's not yeah. random and chaotic. So I get exactly yeah. what you're trying to say. So what is one axiom or quote that centers you and calms you in dark times? I mean, I do um, a loving kindness practice as something that like, uh, both is spiritually helpful to me and therapeutically helpful to me, like something that's been recommended in therapy as well, because I have a hard time seeing my own worth. And so a practice that I do almost daily um, is to repeat a sort of mantra to myself where I say, may you be filled with loving kindness, held in loving kindness. May you realize loving kindness as your essence. May you be happy May you accept yourself just as you are. May you feel peaceful and safe. May your heart and mind awaken and be free. And that comes from Tara Brock, who's a, a meditation teacher. And I think it's beautiful. And that's I think amazing. that it's, it's something that's like immensely helpful, helpful to me. If like I can picture someone who I know deserves those words and then see the part of myself that also deserves them from giving it first reflecting it back to myself, it can be really helpful even when I like, I'm really struggling with my own self-worth to do and that. Bringing it back to essences. And also guys, just to let you know, everything that Phil just said is metal as fuck. So just keep, <laughs> just keep that in mind. Uh, and lastly, to everyone who has ever been touched by your words and music, what do you say? I just appreciate all of you so much. I mean, it like, it's so validating to my experience to see that I'm not alone. And I think that one of the things that people gravitate to in our music is feeling that same thing that like, maybe there's somebody else out there who sort of understands what they're going through or that we understand that it might be that a totally different set of like trauma and struggles and issues are underlying how somebody relates to our music, but like that I appreciate so much um, the honesty of people who come up to me and tell me how it's helped them. Um, and that it really truly makes me feel like I have a meaningful purpose that I'm able to share my experience and have it so validated by everyone that gets something out of it. So it's just more of a thank you than anything else, I guess, but it's really meaningful to me. Bill, you have just engaged in psychic warfare. Thank you so much for joining me today. It truly means the world. No, thank you. This has been really wonderful. You've like made me touch on a lot of really uh, deep concepts that I don't think we end up talking about enough as people generally, but also definitely not on, you know, your typical sort of interview related to metal, you know, 
I can't even say how many times I've answered the same set of questions that never really get to the heart of what we're trying to do. And I think that you've tapped into something that's much closer to the spirit of what chemist is about than probably any other interview I've ever done. So I really appreciate the platform to, to explore that with you and with everyone who's listening. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to Psychic Warfare. If you like content like this for the rock and metal scene, it would mean a lot to me if you could hit subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice. Also, you can follow me at Risk with a K on Twitter, and you can follow the show at Pod on Twitter and Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you guys again for all the support, and I will see you in the next episode for another round of Psychic Warfare.